0: Welcome to the Miss Dean Loves You podcast. That's not what it's called. It's called... <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Unbranded podcast with Miss Dean Loves You. I'm your host, Susie Dean. I am joined by one of my dearest friends, Jackie Gennaro. Hi, Jackie.
1: Hi, Susie.
0: Um, Jackie is a friend of mine who I met while I was a teacher. We were both teachers together. But I want Jackie to take it away and tell me, you tell me who you are, what your identifiers are. How do you like talk about yourself, profession, who where your identity is, how we met, give me all of it.
1: Oh boy, loaded questions. I know, so, sorry.
0: Um,
1: yes. Yeah, so, gosh, I guess my identity is well I'm ja I mean, for purposes of like where we are, Jackie, she, her, you know, it's weird because my life shifted when I was 23, when I had my first baby. So I almost never really had an identity. I feel like, like I went from like being this young kind of party girl, I guess that's how I would identify myself before Kennedy. And then went into the identity of mom, teacher. And I feel like Right now I'm 35, 36. Oh my god, I'm 36. I'm gonna be 37 in May. Um, I feel like I'm just kind of coming into my identity as like a woman in a sense, like Ooh. the type of woman that I that I feel like I'm becoming. I think the more that I practice my yoga and that I experience life, I think the only fair identity for any of us is just like human. <laughs> you know, like as mistakes are made and lessons are learned and things are kind of figured out and answered. It's like, Oh, yep. There's my humanity again. There was never this moment where like, I felt like I was a
0: normal adult. It totally checks out that you said you're starting to find your identity as a woman. Now. I hear that so often that your thirties are just, everyone tells me that your thirties are the best. And everyone who I talk to that I, I press in and I ask why, almost always the answer is some variation of, I don't have the same insecurities that I used to. I feel so much more comfortable and confident in my body, in my life, in my power, in my assertiveness. Do you feel that way as well? Or do you think maybe this is the time because like things are slowing down in terms of chaos?
1: No, I, oh my gosh, I don't know. Let me think. Things are definitely not slowing down in terms of chaos. I think that I thrive in chaos. Okay.
0: that was going to be my next
1: question. I've been like kind of understanding that, like even looking back at my childhood. I think I'm comfortable sometimes in chaos, and I think that's why the yoga practice for me has really helped me learn that there's another way to live. Like there is another side. There's the yin to that yang, or the right. Yin to that yang. So, um. No, chaos is here to stay. That's a lesson that I learned. I actually teach that a lot in my yoga classes. Like I teach my students to find calm and breath in the chaos of the pose because that's really what our life is. So um, chaos, check, here to stay. And then the other part of that question was, do I feel like because I'm more confident or comfortable? I've been learning about myself that the patterns that used to show up still show up and so patterns of insecurity patterns of neediness and i think that what's changed for me is instead of seeking an external like answer or solution Mm -hmm. i just know that it's a part of who i am like a part of my humanity and so i think it's not that that stuff for me at least talking from my own experience where i'm at right now It's not that my insecurities have gone away or things like there's, it's just that I've become more comfortable and I've learned how to make
0: friends with my insecurities. Would you say that this is a time in your life where you're seeking truth within your highest self? Does that make sense? That sounded so esoteric, but like I I read a lot of books and I hear a lot of people talk about how the essence of life, all the answers, all of our wisdom is inside, is in the self. But because of the world and all of this external chaos, we lose touch with the self, which I definitely know that you know what I'm talking about. Would you say this is a time where you're kind of learning to lean into that and make a relationship with that?
1: You know, it's interesting. Yes. And uh, it's just like, where I'm at right now. And I don't know if that will change. I have a love hate with that type of like idea of thinking because the reality is, is that we are in this fucked up world and we are experiencing things that take us out of that. I don't know if it's in Zen or um, this higher self I don't know. I'm just not there yet. Okay. You know, like there's moments on my mat maybe that I'm like in a sound bowl meditation where I'm like you I don't know, where you feel I'm not there yet. Okay. Yeah. That's fine. I'm not I, I I love the idea of it. I don't know if it's possible without substance. <laughs>
0: I want to try mushrooms so bad, but then I got pregnant.
1: (laughs) Well, it's never too late.
0: What do you mean, like, make friends with your insecurities? Uh,
1: Okay, so you'll love this, and you probably know this. So when I used to teach in the school, I had my high school seniors, who I loved so much. Like, I'll cry thinking about them. And, right? Right. You know, like, remember, like, right before COVID, like, we, like, loved our kids so much.
0: I was obsessed with my graduating class that I had the COVID, like, right when we left for COVID. I met them when they were sophomores. Oh, and then you had a lot of the same ones. We had a lot of overlap.
1: I love some of those kids. I'm so bummed that it ended like that. But Mm. yeah, so on their last day, I used to print them out these John Mayer lyrics. And (laughs) I know. I'm still on my job. I'll never be out of my John Mayer stage. Yeah, And so there's this one line, it's called the age of worry. It's just such a beautiful song for like, it's a beautiful song for anyone, but especially like a high school senior. And in this one part, he uses the line, make friends with what you are. And since I started my yoga work, it was rooted in anti-racism shadow Mm -hmm. work. Um, It was kind of like dark yoga in a sense. (laughs) Like it was like, it wasn't like you're like, oh, rainbows and butterflies yoga. It was like, no, like we need to use our yoga for activism and like understanding our shadow. And so when I first started doing shadow work, I used to think that it was like, oh, I need to rid myself of my fear or I need to rid myself of my shame or my grief, or my lies, or my this, whatever the shadow is. And the truth is that for me, at least where I am right now, and I keep saying that because I know it's different for everyone and I know it will be different for me one day. Instead of this obsession of trying to like get rid of it, I've decided it's not going anywhere and I need to make friends with it. You know, like accept it. Like when it
0: shows up, nurture it. Mm -hmm. Um, That's like the essence of mindfulness, right? Like we feel the feelings because they want to be felt. We don't try to avoid, well, you shouldn't try to avoid the feelings of anxiety or depression or just ickiness. You welcome it, stand alongside it, feel it, and then integrate it. Yeah. Yeah. For those that are listening that might not be into yoga like physically into the world of yoga or are but just view it or know it as the asanas and the poses it might be a little bit confusing when they hear you say we need to use our yoga for activism so can you define what yoga is outside of just physical poses and how we can use that for activism
1: yeah so yoga means union and when we are in yoga there is no separation um it's union and so when we have we have separation all over our lives we have separation um in our government we have separation in it's it shows up everywhere you know i'm a history teacher too so when you study american history and you look at what has separated us politically economically um, racially, it's literally everything that yoga is not. So, um, the way we've separated our, you know, does that make sense? And I'm saying like, how we've separated ourselves into rich and poor, white and black, um, whatever it is, skilled or unskilled, (laughs) whatever you can think of as opposite forces, the yoga brings them together. And so, um, when I say yoga for activism, it's rooted first of all. And then another thing is that, the number one principle of yoga is called ahimsa
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it means non-harming um, to others and to yourself. So this is why a lot of yogis are vegans because they take that to <clears throat> also not eating meat and whatnot. So between union, ahimsa, and then universal truth, which is also a part of yoga, um, how dare we practice yoga and not... Actually, try to at least speak out for the things that are separating
0: us. How do you think we can logistically use yoga and union as activism while at the same time n- being sure to not tolerate things like racism and sexism and misogyny and classism and ableism and all of those things? How can we logistically make union without making judgment? Does that make sense? Let me also
1: go back on that. Like by there are some yogis that I have studied from and that I have that are my teachers that are literally mm-hmm. on front lines of activism. So they are like the type of activist that we kind of understand as like that term. I am not an activist like that. Like I'm I'm just not. That's not my role. Like I showed up with my activism from understanding the principles of yoga through the classroom, right? Like through my service as a teacher, that was like a way that I did. Now that I'm out of the classroom, I honestly feel like I've fallen off a little bit. I'll be honest. Like Mm -hmm. I, I'm in this point, I think where I went so hard on that realm of yoga, um, Mm -hmm. that once COVID hit and I felt like I really needed to take care of myself and my family, just like my survival needs in a sense. Um, I kind of backed off of that, but I will say this, that one thing that never stops is the idea that if there is separation in ourselves, we can't even start to get on the front lines or make any sense in the classroom or change policies at work, you know, whatever, however our activism shows up. So the yoga, there is that physical realm, like the asana, the the poses that we practice, that does bring us into things like it does bring our body into union. It brings our breath and our spirit into union with our body. So when we can start to actually understand and feel the union within or that truth within or ahimsa within, there's a trickle effect out. So in yoga and activism, there's actually a lot of self-work that it requires. You know, Instead of going out there and being like, you're this and you're that and I'm a yogi and I'm perfect. Like that is so not what we want to do, Right. right? So it's more like just being able... To see that shit in ourselves that like, okay, here's a perfect example that one of my teachers always uses. Okay. So we're in traffic and we're like, oh my God, I hate the traffic. Like I have road rage. I hate the traffic. And one of my teachers, one times she looks at me and she's like, Jackie, you are the traffic, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And I'm like, motherfucker, you know? So it's like, any way that you're yeah. creating separation, I am probably creating that separation in my own life as well. Like that's the whole thing about like making friends with what you are. When you can make friends with what you are, I can make friends with what you are.
0: Okay. I think it's important to also add here that um, you don't need to get to a perfect state of union within yourself before you can begin activism because we're never going to reach oh. that first. Right. We're never going to reach
1: there's moments on the mat where I'm like, oh my God, I feel it. Right. There's moments as a parent where I'm like, oh my God, I nailed that as a teacher. Right. Where you feel like you're in that. union, But then, you know, while I'm nailing something, one of my other kids drops a glass everywhere. And now there's shattered glass all over the floor. And I'm like, well, there goes that piece, you know, some, and that's like a stupid example. But yeah, there's always something, at least in my experience, that's going to try to take that union or truth
0: or ahimsa and test me. So yeah. almost there there are two things that have to go ex- coexist, the activism and the self-work, and they'll both reinforce each other. The self-work will help us, or the, um, the activism will help us see where our shortcomings are internally which then allows us to internally work on those things and then be more in union with the other people and individuals and systems around us right yeah one doesn't have to come before the other they can
1: coexist Yeah, because it's all lifelong work
0: pivoting a little bit i want to talk about you and teaching and i want to talk about how Well, I would like to just get out of the way how we know each other, how you remember meeting me. I don't know if we have the same story.
1: I feel like we don't because my memory is just so bad.
0: (laughs) Okay. So I, the school that we taught at, I went to as a student and Jackie taught one of her classes in addition to history was Holocaust. And it was really badass that our school offered a Holocaust class and our district has a Holocaust curriculum. The teacher that, I had a Holocaust teacher that was not Miss G, not Jackie, um, and who left and Jackie filled her role. And so I remember I was now a teacher and I was taking my students to a poetry slam that you performed at. That
1: was your first year?
0: I don't, I think it might've been my second. But, um, I didn't know you were performing and I was walking my kids into the theater and you were holding the door and I had been watching you from afar and heard about you and people would like, um, say that we were very similar a lot, like my students in terms of classroom personality. And I saw you and I knew you were the Holocaust teacher. I was like, hi, I'm Susie Dean. I, Um, actually used to take Holocaust with Miss K. Do you know who she is? And then you were so awesome and so welcoming and so like nice and fun and bubbly. And then I just like went into the theater and watched you do your poetry slam. And then I feel like our relationship was really solidified the year after or the two years after when we were in similar hallways and every morning (laughs) you would come into the teacher and just talk shit with all the male teachers in there which just lifted me up every day. It was awesome. The energy in that room was awesome and I just sat back (laughs) and enjoyed all of it. Enjoyed watching all of it. Enjoyed watching your fire and the way that you handled yourself and like worked with different types of people. It was yeah, and that's when I really fell in love with Jackie.
1: Oh, I love that. So I'm so happy that I was welcoming and nice because sometimes I could just be such a bitch too. Like, it just depends on where I'm coming from. <laughs> so that makes me happy. I loved that poetry slam. That was one of my favorite experiences the The poetry rumble, the slam poem. My, I don't remember that actually. I don't remember that interaction. I was probably so nervous because I was about
0: really? to, go to that, that You did poem. not act like it. I was so I'm impressed. Like
1: Thank you, um, but I do remember us in the planning room, and you were always so <laughs> freaking cute with your backpack, and <laughs> your shells, and like you. Oh, okay. So I think tell me, there was one year where Kennedy, my oldest daughter, wanted to be a Visco girl for Halloween.
0: Oh, you for this
1: vaguely okay, yeah. and I was like, "What's a Visco girl?" And someone was like, "Miss Dean." <laughs> This oh, girl, with the shells and the whatever water bottle. Oh, yeah. The bracelets and everything. I, sometimes I feel bad. Like sometimes I felt like I hijacked your morning because, oh, no, oh, okay. Because you would be in there like trying to work and I would come in there just like,
0: like guns beating. Beating. yeah. No, I didn't have a first period. So like all first period was silent. Nobody was in there. So I could just like, hang out right before school yeah
1: and you always had your coffees like multiple coffees
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's It's always funny to hear other people's interpretation of like your existence
1: yeah and I know exactly what you're talking about with talking shit to those male teachers and yeah that fired me up man
0: I loved watching it because I would never I mean I think it's different because you're a history teacher so you had to be in the news every day in order to effectively teach the past. And I wasn't as much, I just, I I have rarely been in a place where I feel so confident to speak on current events and challenge people and be challenged. And so it was, it it was always something that I've wanted to embody. So it was really inspiring to watch you. And also there were times where, you might have, you like maybe came back and apologized or apologized in the moment (laughs) if you got like way too fired up. So there was so much learning that I gained just from watching you in that.
1: Yeah. Oh God. I'm like talking about that. Like notice how talking about the kids makes me want to cry. Like the seniors that I miss, but like those interactions with some of those other teachers I don't miss.
0: I don't blame you. I mean, it really, if talk about an opportunity to practice your yoga and your yeah, internal I, growth
1: I failed 90% of the time.
0: <laughs> well, it at, at least pointed you in the direction of where you needed to work. Exactly, exactly.
1: Yeah. And I'd probably still fail. You know, I try my best. Like when I'm in moments like that of chaos, I really do try to practice what I preach. And that shit is not easy, no. just like it's not easy in the pose, you know?
0: Yeah, that's, I always, I don't know where this came up or when I started thinking about this. I think I might have been in a yoga class. I was in a yoga class with someone who was apologizing for the construction noise outside. And I said, "I." it, it might have been like a new teacher or or maybe I was talking about it with a friend, but I said, there's no need to apologize because that external distraction just allows me to better challenge myself or better learn how to be, how to quiet my mind in my Shavasana meditation.
1: Right. And yeah, exactly. It's like the perfect epitome of like the chaos isn't going away. Right. You know, and, and those guys are out there working. And it's like, one of my teachers always says that, like, we can't be mad that they're working. Like they're making a living to put dinner on their kids' tables. And like, you know what I mean? Like, we can't be like, sorry, we're in a yoga class right now. Like, stop construction work.
0: No, it's the ultimate, it's the ultimate opportunity to practice how to maintain yourself in, within situations that you can't control and therefore putting you in a position to be more at one with yourself in moments that, otherwise would get you incredibly rattled and overwhelmed. So why did you, can you explain a little bit more of why you left teaching? Because I know, and it sounds like it wasn't just working through COVID.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. So I actually considered leaving the classroom when Parkland happened. I was like done. I was disgusted and I was in fear. Yeah and I teach the holocaust. Yeah. And I felt like that was like <laughs> enough reason for a kid to be pissed off or something. I don't know. I kind yeah. of spiraled at Parkland big time.
0: And before you um, before you go on, I think it's important to note that Parkland was very 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 close to our school. A lot of our students um knew Nicholas Cruz. Um, A lot of our students, I know that I had students who they were testing during the shooting at Douglas. Um, So it, it was all very, very close to home.
1: Yeah. We had students, I don't know how many, I don't want to say a lot, but I know of a few that they didn't want to go back to Parkland. So they actually transferred. How they were able to do that, I don't know in different districts, but I know that there were some.
0: It was
1: like a, this, it was like a an identical school almost in yeah. parkland it's like if it could happen in parkland it could yep. happen
0: that made it even scarier
1: so that was like one of my first things and then i realized that i started getting subs every friday <laughs> okay what i started getting substitutes like almost every friday like
0: you personally you were just not coming to school on fridays right <laughs> <laughs> Okay.
1: Nice. <laughs> okay. And I started because my yoga teacher would do something called a Friday trifecta. And so she would have an 11 o'clock vinyasa, a 12 o'clock sound bowl meditation, and a 115 lunch and learn, which is like a book club. And I was like addicted to it. And then I started realizing that not only was I wearing, once I stopped coming to school on Fridays, <laughs> I started wearing my yoga pants to school on Thursdays. And then I started realizing, Oh, shit, I came in yoga pants on Monday. I'm like, you know, they say dress for the job you want. So I'm like, something is happening here. Like, I am just like, the profession, I, I was never the most professional teacher and I'm fine with that. Like I, it was always about the kids for me. I could care less about putting on a show for evaluations. I could care less about dressing the part. Yeah. I always admired you though. You
0: always looked so freaking cute.
1: I'm just not that like, it just, Oh, but at the same
0: cool. time, while I was like put together, I was wearing like hippie as shit clothes. I wasn't.
1: But no. You were, you were like, could have been a kid for yeah. sure. Like, yeah, yeah definitely not like the most professional right. either as dress code is concerned but I just felt like I was losing a little bit of whatever filter I had left <laughs> I just like I just knew that it was time and I was at that point like doing a disservice to the kids um I felt like the golden age of it kind of came to an end and I could feel it and I just it was like get the job at FLVS, give myself time to really dive deep into my yoga practice. And that's what I did. And I applied five times to FLVS.
0: Five.
1: Five times. Yeah. I applied the first time I I, probably could have gotten the job.
0: I vaguely remember this, you coming in every day and I would, I would check your status and it was still a little bit hush hush.
1: Yeah. 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 And that first time I didn't get it was because I messed up like a number, like my employee number. I know I was like, but it all worked out because I ended up getting the AP job and now I teach AP US history for FLBS
0: I really admire this about you as well. I am just such a high strung person, especially when I was at school and as a teacher, I would get so worked up for the whole day over the smallest thing that either I did or an email from admin or a parent. And I also would drastically overthink taking any of my sick days or personal days for anything. I don't think for the first three years I took a single personal day. I think I might have taken three total sick days when I was very, very, very sick. So I always also really like spending time with you because you reminded me that school isn't my identity and it's not more important than my personal health and my familial health. So when you say that every Friday, I mean just the thought if I knew that's why you weren't coming to school on Fridays, like Jackie's just calling out of work because she wants to do yoga. That's <laughs> so badass to me and I think that was such it's just such a wonderful reminder of how we should appropriately place our priorities because it, unfortunately, and I think this happens with a lot of teachers just because of the nature of the profession, school and performance and evaluations and making everyone happy was always number one. And then like myself came last or myself came like second to last. And then family, friends and external relationships came at the bottom. And that ended up having to be my downfall. I think that, I mean, I was going to leave teaching no matter what because of a variety of circumstances, but I always wish that I was able to adopt the mentality of not, of of caring less in that I wasn't investing my whole existence into teaching. I think there probably would have been so much liberation in caring less about performance and what everybody else thought.
1: There was one time early on, that I was evaluated and I know for a fact that I did the same lesson as this other teacher. And I know that I'm a good teacher and I know that the kids learned, I know they did. And in fact, we had similar pass rates, that teacher and I, like statistically, my numbers were there and emotionally, like my relationships were there with my students. Long story short, she got a better evaluation than I did. And from that moment on, I thought, fuck this. I am not even gonna fucking try anymore. I'm gonna wing every evaluation. I'm not planning for it. I'm gonna do what I do, come in any period, any time, I don't care and, and grade me because I know that there's lessons being learned. Yeah. I always put the kids first. I sucked at paperwork. I don't care about evaluations. Even if I lost money on that, I didn't care because it wasn't worth my time. Where not even my time, it wasn't worth my energy right. because it seemed like a waste of time, like you put all this hard work into it, and yet it just seems silly to me, so, um, I'm thankful for that lesson that I learned pretty early on to just kind of be like, it's about the kids, um you know, yeah, and I, I didn't really feel that way towards the end that like I had to live up to this thing, and also though, I never got any like. I never, um, got teacher of the month or anything like none of that ever happened for me, like teacher of the year, whatever it didn't happen. And I know why, because I didn't put that, I didn't do that work. I just, I just showed up for the kids. That's what I did every day.
0: It's so unfortunate. I'm glad that you had that experience too. And I bet once you just didn't care and did everything on the fly, everything probably fell into place. I mean, that's how you would imagine it would go.
1: Maybe <laughs> were you, I mean I would imagine
0: that you were in more of a flow state when I was. I really came in.
1: Yeah, I really figured it out. Like I figured out the the routine for the kids, the way to like assign them their essays, but use class time to grade it because oh. they were doing some other like I I figured out that, how to do that and make time for my family.
0: And it's but it's so and this is just a broken record. So unfortunate that our value as teachers is based. Not only on like one or two observations, but even within the observation, it's based in how we are teaching, which makes or what we are teaching, not even how really, what we are teaching and how we're delivering it, which I know is important, but it's not... I just wish our value as teachers was a little bit more based on the relationships that we're building with the kids, because at the end of the day, when our kids are in the real world, it's not about the stupid lessons that we taught them about the comma. It's going to be about how we modeled handling mistakes and failures, or how we dealt with students that were disrespectful for us, or how we showed students how to build relationships with people that were different from them, how we held their hand during their hardest times, because I mean, you can have teachers all day who, yeah, will put on a show with very specific standards aligned lessons that they had been working on for weeks. And then their kids aren't learning anything because there's no passion there coming from the teacher the rest of the days of the year. And there's no learning going on because that teacher is very clearly not invested emotionally in the students or in their work.
1: No. And I always felt like it was hard to plan as a teacher. It's like, how am I supposed to plan for the computer not working or the fire drill or the kid telling me to fuck up oh or, or the meltdown that happened? Or how about when Parkland happened and we spent two or three straight days just fielding that. Yeah. Right. Like when, you know, those types of things. And I always made time for that. Like, you know, in my Holocaust class, I never gave them one test not one never i i think maybe if i was like if they were in trouble or something i was like you guys are not listening here's a 30 question multiple choice test that i would like pull up from google or something because i didn't make that <laughs> because for me like holocaust education was so not about like when did hitler invade right. like that was not it was like, can we have honest conversations about what we're learning and what this means for our future? Like, like when we were teaching and we had a Charlottesville Nazi rally or well, wherever that was,
0: yeah.
1: you know what I'm saying? And I'm teaching a Holocaust yeah. class. It's like, I'm not going to ignore the elephant in the room that there was a Nazi rally right. in South Carolina. So I would make, I'd be really, I would hold space for them to discuss that. Um, That to me was the magic. And there's no rubric on evaluations for that. There's no standard for that.
0: You're teaching at FLVS. You're doing virtual school. It's been a complete like 180 in terms of experience, but you are doing something else.
1: I think. Oh, do
0: we not know yet? I thought, well, okay.
1: No, Oh, no, I don't know. So I'm waiting for my scores to come back. So I took the
0: LSAT. Okay. So that's the plan. The plan is to go to law school. And that's the dream. That's always been the dream.
1: It's always been the dream. I go back and forth. I'm going to wait to see what my test scores are. I'm going to apply. I'm going to see if I get in. I have my heart set on one school. It's uh, the only online school in America that's accredited by the bar. I love convenience. I you know, I don't know how I feel about driving down to Miami three days a week.
0: You know. Well, regardless of what happens, I think, and I think a lot of other people would generally think it's very bold to completely pivot from a career that you've been in since you were in your twenties after you have, yeah. wh- while you have a full-time job that you need to maintain while you're setting yourself up for the second career and while raising a family. So, and I think that's really admirable. I think I'll sh- I'll share my thoughts in a second. But what was that like making that decision in the midst of all of this?
1: So this is kind of crazy. I had a personal experience over the last year, not a personal. My family member did. So I kind of, yeah, you kind of know some of this. Um, my brother was in a situation and got in trouble for something. Um, it ended up going to a jury trial. It was a crazy experience for me to be a part of. Um, And I said to him in the middle of it, I was like, oh, so I actually applied for this other job um, when this was all going on last year. I applied to write curriculum for the Holocaust for FLDS. And I said to my brother, I said, if I get this job, then I'm going to hold off on law school. You know, I'm going to like take that as a sign that like, okay, this is a good next step out of the classroom even more. And then if I don't get the job, I'm going to law school, I'm going to apply. And I didn't get the job. <laughs> <laughs> so it's okay. okay, universe, I hear yeah. you. Um, because I feel like I came pretty close, you know, and I, yeah, so that's kind of what it was. I had this personal experience, I learned so much with everything going on with my brother. Um, and i'm smart enough to do it that's kind of was my guiding light i'm like i can do this you know like i'm smart enough i'm a hard worker i like school i always told myself i'd never go back to university but
0: the world has a funny way did <laughs> having your girls and knowing that you would have to juggle school and a full time job ever deter you or were you just full speed ahead once you made that well, decision I'm still,
1: like, I I can still be deterred. (laughs) Like there's nothing set in stone. So that kind of scares me a little bit. I love that my girls are watching me make this move. In some ways I feel a little negligent, you know, like there's times when I have stayed so focused on myself, Um, the yoga trainings, um, working a million jobs. um, Now going to law school, there's definitely time that I take away from them. And I think that that is an issue. I'm not negating that. And I also think that it's really cool for them to see their mom as a go-getter, you know, as like someone who's not just going to do something because that's how I identify or that's my role. I'm a teacher. That's what I did. That's what I chose. Like, it's just never too late, you know? So, and even if let's just say my score comes back, it's not very good. Let's just say I don't get into law school. I think it's good for them to see that too. Yeah. You know, that I tried and you know, to see how that rejection will land on me and um knowing that they're watching and no matter what happens um I think that it's been a really nice lesson for them to see to see me try. You know, I I studied so hard for the Elsa. They would constantly see me with those books open you know, 5 a.m. whenever I could on the couch, mm-hmm. like whenever just crack and open a practice test. I think it is good for them. I don't know if they can see that now.
0: Maybe, no, probably
1: not. You know, they don't see that. They see mom's not here.
0: Yeah, um, that's tough. Of course. And nothing's going to make that less tough. And the way that I see it as an outsider is you, you, One, we know that there's so much value in showing and modeling for your girls that just because you've done something for a long time and that was like the trajectory for you at a time doesn't keep you locked in place. If that's not where your passion is, there's always, it's, it's always possible to stop anything or leave or just say no, whether it's a career or a meeting or a phone call or an interaction, it's always okay to just not let yourself be constrained by societal expectations. Um, And I think that's beautiful that you're showing them that. And also it's, it's almost like you have to choose what lesson you want to teach your girls right now, because you can't be a, a 1000% present mother that you want to be, and also show them the value in making a life decision like this. So while of course it's so hard and heartbreaking to, feel the guilt of not being with your girls to choose something for yourself it's also important to show them why that matters
1: I don't even know if I feel that guilty
0: oh well good
1: I feel more like what kind of issues will this bring up for them in the future (laughs) and then maybe I'll feel guilty But I don't know, you know, they're like a weird age too. They're 12 and going to be 10.
0: Moving back to you being a parent, were you just parenting like by the seat of your pants?
1: Well, no. Okay. So I was really young when I had Kennedy. My mom was around, even like lived with us, I feel like in the beginning. My second daughter, Sloane, was born sick. So my mom definitely moved in when Sloane was born. Yeah. I did parent a little bit, just like, I don't know. I listened to my mom, you know, I went with her advice. A lot of my friends later on, cause I was the first one. I actually had one friend too, that had a baby at the same time as me. And we went to high school together. We kind of fell off, but we rekindled when we realized we both had a baby and we were really the only ones. And I learned a lot from her also. So, I had that one friend and I had my mom, but for the most part, yeah, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And it was like we were so young, you know, like meaning me and my friends, and Kennedy was just kind of like our buddy. Yeah. Like, I didn't lose any of my friends. You know how some women experience yeah. that they lose some friends? Yeah. My friends kind of clung to it. Like my best friend Lucy came over every day on her lunch break to be with Kennedy, you know? Like they really actually were more drawn in. I feel like when I had Ken and she had like all these
0: built-in aunts and uncles and stuff. That's so beautiful. That's so nice to have a kid where you feel like they're being raised in a village, like the good old days. Oh yeah. Village.
1: It's such a village. She's like, I just told this to her. She struggles a little bit with friends at school I was like, it's because you were just one of the adults. Like yeah. she is so much more socially with it, with adults than with um, kids her age. She didn't have really anybody until my second was born. And then now there's kids everywhere, which is like contagious or something, just everywhere. And yeah, my thing with parenting is radical honesty. I, it's scary. Oh,
0: oh, I'm sure. I've, well, I've always admired you as a parent because I think I started talking to you about being a parent right around the time when I was starting to think about trying to get pregnant. And one, you made it so exciting. I was so scared. But you were like, I'm obsessed with my girls. They're so cool. And I just I hadn't really ever heard a parent talk about their kids as being so cool. Like I think my kids badass. And you would tell me stories I think what did Kennedy go to school with the Michelle Obama book and she was like lecturing people there is <laughs> some story like that that is so funny you recall? no it was it was so did funny me? and I was like what kind of mom raises a kid like that and it it has to be a mom that is just completely parenting through her personality You were parenting according to yourself. I I mean, it seems like from the outside looking in, you were, you, it doesn't seem like when I was near the end of pregnancy, I made the decision to not read a single parenting book because I knew that if I got too much information about different parenting styles, I would just have like, I would just freeze out with anxiety because nothing's right and everything's wrong.
1: Yeah, and so everything's wrong. He's right. I just
0: decided to parent according to myself and my few trusted friends that were also parents. And I think that it can be hard to do that. I mean, I'm not even really parenting yet, so I don't know. I'm just keeping a human alive, but it seems like it can be very hard to do that um to parent without letting the noise come in, especially with all of our easy access to social media and people making comments on the way that we parent and from what they see. And so one, it seems like, and what I really admired was that you were just parenting according to your personality and you weren't, it didn't seem like you were changing who you were just because you became a parent and you were a mom. You were like Jackie and mom. You were Jackie enhanced. You weren't Jackie and then Jackie mom. You know what I mean? And I really like what you said about radical honesty, because there's also so much pressure for parents to be perfect. And I think that I learned a lot of this as a teacher. There was a lot of pressure for teachers to be perfect in front of kids. But what I really found and made the decision to do early on was find the value in being radically honest and being okay with making mistakes and failing and apologizing and repairing because all of the learning within relationships comes from the repair, comes from making a mistake, hurting someone else, and then coming back and fixing it.
1: Yeah. It's hard. Now the middle schooler, like the question she asks me and I'm like, okay, (laughs) let's not tell dad that you asked me that.
0: Oh yeah.
1: Oh yeah. But I, you know, it's like, I'd rather her learn it Yes. than someone else.
0: My mom was always like that. I And I super duper value that as an adult. I knew my friends' moms were not like that, but I always knew that I could ask her the most inappropriate or awkward or embarrassing questions and she would take the time to answer honestly and as developmentally appropriate as possible. And I so value that because... I always felt safe with her. I always what made very mature, informed decisions because I had that foundation and I had a source of information that wasn't intimidating or false, you know?
1: Yeah, sometimes it's hard to be age-appropriate when it's like, well, that's just the way it is, you know? It's like, that's where my radical honesty <sighs> comes in. Like when she asked me this this sexually based question the other day and then she goes well do you do
0: oh no oh no okay oh yeah
1: and her friend was a normal conversation but you know what Like, that's the kind of stuff that it's like, well, first of all, none of your business. And second of all, this is not about me. Like, I gave you the facts of the answer. All right. That's a good in the moment decision. So radical honesty. Now, I will say this. Kennedy takes it better than Sloan. Sloan is very sensitive. And it's to the point that sometimes I think Sloan doesn't ask the questions. Because she's so sensitive. And maybe that's part of the backfiring of my radical honesty because mm-hmm. it is tough for me to soften sometimes um, that she doesn't come to me and ask me these questions or she's just so clueless and she's such a kid still. Yeah. She's very different from Kennedy. Kennedy's always been really mature. Sloan is like, not there yet. Sometimes I worry about Sloan that she won't ask the questions because she needs a softer answer. Uh-huh. I have to practice that.
0: That must be wild to watch your kids' period, watch them develop personalities and watch them be so radically different, and then have to change I, I I sometimes think about what it would be like to have a second kid and how hard it would be to rely on everything I knew parenting Hawthorne and then have to be faced with completely changing it all because I have a different kid, obviously,
1: even for me. The first six weeks Sloan was in NICU. So I didn't even have the six weeks at home. So anything I did with Kennedy was out the door. And then when she came home, you still kind of live that NICU routine. So like it was to the point where the doctors were like, okay, you don't have to take her temperature every three hours. Oh, and I was wow. like, oh, okay, but that's what you did in the NICU. And so, um, yeah, they're just completely different.
0: Can we go back to your yoga? Cause I want to know how, who influenced you in terms of yoga? How did you find yoga?
1: I've always like, yoga was always something that I was interested in, even as a, even at a young age, but I really started practicing, I would say in 2010, okay. right after I had Kennedy. Um, and there was this really great yoga teacher at Lifetime Fitness, and he was like really traditional, and I loved him, he was so cool, his name was Troy. And then I found my teacher, Leslie, in the the park, in a public park, and she's teaching this public class. I just really loved it. Like being outside and doing yoga was really cool for me. And then I had this one experience on my mat. <laughs> I know this sounds so stupid, but it was real at the time. And I was in such turmoil, honestly, over the political scene, over what was happening, you know, five years ago. Just like it, it, it like... Uprooted me. I couldn't even like get my shit together. I was so mad about what was happening. So I was on my <clears throat> my mat one day, and I this like emotional release came over me. Like I started crying and I was like, I felt like a really big surrender <clears throat> um, that I was really needing like to root back down mm-hmm. like to feel myself like melt kind of into the ground. And um that right after that I was hooked. That's probably when I started skipping Fridays <laughs> at school.
0: I don't think that sounds stupid. I think that at least I found in my life the times where uh my life was in the most upheaval was also the time where I was most connected. Period. I was I was more ready to I was more ready to see period and receive. I was more, yeah. I was more energetically sensitive. I, that sounds so dumb, but I, I was more in touch. I, I was seeing those things and I was seeking those things. Um, so I don't think that sounds stupid. Uh, you did say, um, when you found your teacher, Leslie, and you put an emphasis on teacher. So when Leslie's not just a friend, she's not just someone whose yoga class you go to. No. She's more than that. So what, what does it mean? Teacher. What role does that play?
1: Okay. So the studio that I found actually, <clears throat> so Leslie was first my teacher. Now I like, she's my friend. I mean, we have yoga can bring people so close together. Like you don't even have to say anything, you know? And it's like, <clears throat> you just are one, you're one, you're a union. Yeah. Like, you know? And so I remember my first training with Leslie and you know, it was a 200 hour yoga training. I didn't know shit. I was like all about the energetic part of yoga. I fucking hate science. Uh, I hate math, anatomy. I mean, I don't even think I ever took anatomy in high school. I didn't even make it that far. Like they didn't even want me in anatomy, you know, like, so learning the anatomy, I was so taken back by Leslie. I was like, Oh my God, she's a scientist. You know, she's like she's like amazing. Like she knows so much about the human body and how it fits in energetically, whatever. So at first the teaching started out as like an actually academic teaching. And then the more that I got to know her and her humanity, and I feel like that's just like, we started off with that word and I like, that's like the word I want to come back to seeing her as a human and not as this like superior teacher, Mm -hmm is what really started making it, like making her become a special kind of teacher to me. Like seeing her in her humanity has taught me more than the academic shit with anatomy and the body, you know? Um, And then the studio itself, like I said, they do this lunch, they do this like book club and all these women, Susie, they come in and they're older than me and they have these life experiences. The wisdom that they share is like, it has changed my life being with those women just through them sharing their humanity. Like that is what has taught me the most.
0: Not just, not just Leslie, not just the physical yoga, but the community that comes around yoga.
1: Yeah. 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 So
0: she's also someone that she's someone that you have not only depended on educationally for when you were becoming a yoga teacher yourself, but she sounds like she's someone also who you, just have to lean on to, as you are learning and practicing your own yoga.
1: I think this is the best way to put it. When you see someone that you look up to so much, right? Like how I look up to Leslie. And then when you really get to know them, right outside of the teacher role, mm-hmm. but as a friend role, she became even more of a teacher for me.
0: And I bet it's, yeah. you said that's when you really became hooked to yoga. So beforehand were you, was it kind of just like a loose relationship you would get on your mat when you wanted to, or when you had time and this is when you committed? No,
1: no that's a good question. So it, I always was committed to my yoga practice. I would go every, whatever it was, Tuesday, Thursday with my best friend, and we would go to the lifetime yoga and then go to the steam room. And it was like a whole thing. It was like, no one's taking our Tuesday, Thursdays away from us, you know? So there was definitely like, I was hooked then. I think what got me in with that moment on my mat Mm at the park that day was that I learned that it's so much more than just a physical practice. It's therapy.
0: So that's when you like became emotionally connected to yoga.
1: Yeah. Like depend almost, it's all, it's kind of fucked up, like
0: almost dependent. Okay. On. I've been going on walks every night. I'm addicted to those. Maybe that's what you experience. I started going on walks with Hawthorne after he was born in the evening and in the afternoon. And now they're kicked back to the evening and it's like three and a half miles in the evening time. I take the same route I listen to a little podcast. It's at sunset. I see the same people. I wave at the same babies. I wave at the same dogs. And I feel so good when I go out to my walk and so good when I come back and so sad when I have to miss it.
1: Listen, anything that gets you feeling into your body, gets you moving, gets your brain you know, there's so many ways it is amazing, right? Like we should move every day. I don't practice asana every day.
0: That's, I practice a yeah, lot. Yeah, no. That's fair. That's a good
1: I'm on my mat probably four to five times a week, but I don't, there's some days that I miss. Like um, tonight I didn't get, today I didn't get on my mat. I have my niece now, Thursdays, Wednesdays right. and Thursdays. So like, if I want to get on my mat, I have to wake up really early, which I, I should. But there is, um just something so special about my mat but i also do have a love-hate relationship with yoga as well that's comforting
0: someone like you also experiences stuff like that Um, i do have five questions that i didn't tell you about that i just want to ask you for fun off the cuff okay I couldn't prepare for them and i make them different for every guest don't
1: prepare for anything oh i looked at the i said oh these are easy questions i can do this no no big deal even
0: better you'll be a pro okay Um, favorite political figure.
1: (gasps) Fuck. Can you ask me that one next? Do the next one.
0: (laughs) Um, what time do you wake up when you have no plans? Mm,
1: Seven. I'm just
0: curious. Are you like an early person or a late person? I'm early.
1: Like seven.
0: If you could live in any time period in history, anywhere in the world, where and what time would it be?
1: Oh, I would live in the 1850s.
0: What was that? The Industrial Revolution?
1: That was like right before the Civil War. Okay. And I always said to my students that if I lived in the 1850s, I would be like murdering slaveholders with John Brown, who was like the, the, that crazy guy that like killed a bunch of slave owners.
0: (laughs) That's badass. I knew I would get a good answer
1: that's what I would have done. I'm yeah. For now, that's my answer. Okay. Cause it.
0: Okay. Ideal pizza order.
1: Oh, okay. So my husband had a pizzeria for a little bit. I don't know if you ever got to I go. didn't. don't have it. Any... All right. I will miss this forever. It was called the Yo Rita. It was a margarita pizza, just like a white pizza with fresh tomatoes and basil. And they had this It was a slice shop. So they had this perfect little slice oven. When that piece of pizza came out of the slice oven, and like I would go see him on my lunch. Well, I was working at FLBS, so I'd go see him for lunch, and like that's my pizza, the Yorita. But it's like specifically from the pie house. (sighs) But I would do anything for the Yorita.
0: You can't still get it because you he's your husband.
1: No, because we shut it down. It wasn't even, I could make the Yorita. I can't Uh, get the same crisp um, without
0: that. Damn it.
1: The oven. That's a secret.
0: What is your favorite attribute about yourself?
1: See, there's my insecurity.
0: That's why I wanted to ask it. We're so insecure about hyping ourselves up, but I think we need to be more comfortable with it.
1: I would say my willingness to like, let me come back to that. Okay. Are we on to the political one? Favorite political figure. Okay. Um I don't freaking know. Okay, I okay. hate them
0: all right now.
1: I hate them all well, right now. It doesn't now. have to
0: be right now. <laughs>
1: like, yeah. I know, but even in the past, you know, as a history teacher, you're like, fuck this guy and fuck that guy too. Well, wasn't but, Eleanor
0: Roosevelt pretty dope? Yeah,
1: but she could have been doper. Um, you know, like okay there's things that were messed up too. Um I know as a history teacher, I should be able to pick this.
0: Well, now uh, that I'm realizing it, that was probably the wrong question because you know all the good and all the bad.
1: I just know so much of the bad. It's so annoying. I Sometimes I wish I didn't know all the bad, but I guess ignorance is bliss. <sighs> I, I I guess my favorite, okay, let's go back to the attributes. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to say this. I feel like something that, I feel really strongly about is is my confidence, honestly. I do feel confident. Um, even as a kid, there were ways that I acted out that would suggest otherwise. Um, but at the end of the day, I did get a confidence and I feel like that came from my mom's mom. This like, I am who I am, you know, take it or leave it. That's something like, I definitely am myself. Yeah. Like I'm unapologetically yeah. myself really don't put
0: on a front for anyone you are
1: so maybe that's
0: That's great and that's something that people can pick up on immediately with you which i think is beautiful and very positively impactful on the people that you come into contact with
1: yeah maybe it's not a confidence but it's an assurance
0: Mm -hmm. of who i do you want to skip political figure
1: I'm still trying to think, you know?
0: And um
1: oh, okay, I'll go with John Brown, the guy Oh, okay. Slave-
0: <laughs> so he just went around killing slave owners.
1: We'll call him a political figure. I mean, I guess he wasn't really Well, I mean then like- we
0: could go into the definition of what is a political figure, which can encompass so many things in people and actions.
1: Listen, he's still in the history books. He shapes politics.
0: Okay. So I'll that's all it. it takes.
1: I'll share one thing. So I used to have my kids at the end of the year because I don't do tests if I don't have to. So they would have to paint a picture or draw a picture. And I would create this really cool art gallery on the wall of like political figures. And this one girl did John Brown. She's pencil sketched him. Yeah, I still have it. I took some of the good ones with me when I left. I
0: have, a, I have a couple. I'm glad I took some of my kids art. Thank you so much for joining me, Jackie. This was fun, obviously. Oh, yeah.
1: I, had so I knew fun. it would
0: be. I had a really, I know you had a chaotic, busy day. I also had like a surprisingly busy day at a surprise meeting. I found out about 11 minutes before, and then I was just on back-to-back meetings for like five hours. So this was really good. I was feeling really overwhelmed, but I knew that sitting and talking with you would ground me. And, and, and I'm super proud of you. Oh, thank you so much.
1: Yeah, I am. I think it's really amazing that you just do what you do. You know, you take the chance and you put yourself out there. And I think it's really cool.
0: I'm I don't it.
1: have the balls. To do
0: it. I'm figuring it out as I go. I'm trying to find comfort in the discomfort.
1: Come to one of my yoga classes. I know houses. I have
0: to. I know I have to.
1: <laughs> okay. okay. All, right. All right.
0: Have a great night with your kiddos. Thank you. Bye. Bye you too.